right. Uh, we have three places that we're going to read this morning. First one is in Genesis. The second is in Joel. And then the third is in Revelation. So Genesis 1, and then we'll go to Joel chapter 2. And then in the end to Revelations chapter 22. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Turn over to Joel, Joel 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Their sons and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my maidservants and my manservants. I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Revelations chapter 22. Verses 16 and 17. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the rock and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires to let him take the water of life freely. Well, since half the people left. I guess we'll wait a little bit. <laughs> see, who, see how many me meander back. <laughs> that might be a good thing. <laughs> okay. So today we're going to discuss the Holy Spirit. What or who is the Holy Spirit? And the reason I'm saying what or who is because the Holy Spirit is something that is discussed by many different cults and many different religions, and they have many different ideas of what the Holy Spirit is. So, just to give you an idea, Jehovah's Witnesses look at the Holy Spirit as God's power in action. And they're not the only ones that think of it as God's power in action. Um, the Muslims ID um, the Holy Spirit as Gabriel. And uh, they look at him as being the creative spirit from God, which inspires people. So it's, once again, something from God. Others say that the Holy Spirit is a conduit through which the wisdom of God becomes directly associated with his messenger. 
Once again, when someone was filled with the Holy Spirit as a prophet, uh, they were his messenger, and that was that conduit. Okay, it wasn't the Holy Spirit filling them, it was God's working uh, associated with the hymn. And then the Buddhists even say that the Holy Spirit is the means of which the faithful develop and journey to meet their spiritual goal. So that's what many other people, many other religions out there think about the Holy Spirit, that he's a what? He's not an it, or he's an it, not a person. Okay? So as we're looking through today, we're going to go through, and it's going to be, keep your Bibles handy because there's a lot of verses that we're going to flip through as we go through it. And we're going to go and talk about the fact that for us, the Holy Spirit is God. As we read at the beginning of the book, he was there when God created. Verse 2 said, the Spirit of God covered the earth. He's there at the end when we read Revelation that he was there at the end. And he says, and the spirit in the church says, come. So he's there at the beginning of creation, and he's there at the end. Not only is it talk about there that he creates, we say that the Holy Spirit is God because, the God, because God creates. And the Holy Spirit is in that creation process. It wasn't something that just God did. Or just Jesus Christ, because we know that Jesus Christ is the creator as well. But the Holy Spirit was there present. Turn to Job. In the book of Job, there's several aspects in there that shows what the Holy Spirit does. And not only does he create us, that he was there at creation, but he also sustains us. And that's some of the things that Job talks about. In Job chapter 26... Job 26, 13. It says, I'm going to go to verse, up to verse 10 and start there. He drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the, darkness, at the boundary of light and darkness. The pillars of heaven trembled and are, are astonished at his rebuke. He stirs up the sea with his power and by his understanding he breaks up the storm. By his spirit... He adorned the heavens. His hand pierced the, fleeting, the fleeing serpent. Indeed, these on the mere edges of his waves, and how small a whisper we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? So his spirit was there adorning the heavens. So when we read that he created the heavens and the earth, the spirit was there with him in this creation. Job 33, verse 4. The Spirit has God, of God has made me, and, his breath of the, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So once again, the Spirit of God was there. The Holy Spirit breathed and gave me life. So when we read in Genesis that God breathed into Adam, the Holy Spirit was there breathing. He was there at creation of man. He also sustains us in Job. The next chapter, chapter 13, or 34, verses 14 and 15. If he should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. So the Holy Spirit sustains us. The Holy Spirit is what keeps us going. So as we're looking through what is it that makes us to endure, to continue on, 
in our endeavors here on earth. The Holy Spirit is what sustains us. He gives us that breath, the ability to continue. In Psalms, turn to Psalms 104. Psalms, there's several areas in here as well that it talks about the Holy Spirit and creating, and this is one of those, Psalms 104, verses 29 and 30. You hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit and they are created and you renew the face of the earth. So this one goes together with sustaining, that the Holy Spirit gives you that breath and that if that breath is removed, you return to dust, which is exactly what he said in Job. And one of the things as we look through this, you'll notice that we're going to go through many verses. We're going to go into Old Testament like we are now. We're going to go into the New Testament. And what this shows as we're going through is it's not a New Testament thing. Many people think that the, new, the Holy Spirit is only New Testament, that it is only for the church. But it's not. Here we've studied in David and we've looked at it in Job that the Holy Spirit is not just a New Testament thing. He's not just part of the New Testament church, if you will. He is part of creation. He is the end. So when Christ is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Holy Spirit is right there with him. He is the creator. There are times that we need to be renewed. There are times that we go through areas in our life that uh, things happen and we don't understand why. The Holy Spirit is there with us as we go through these times. We studied some of that this morning in Sunday school. But as we look through this, the Holy Spirit sustains us. Let's go to, uh, renews us, I'm sorry. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 32. And as we think of this, we all need to be renewed. We all need to recharge. And in essence, that's kind of like what pastor's doing now. In going to Israel, going to Greek, going to where Paul traveled, to where Christ was at, is helping to renew him. He's going to be able to bring what he's learned there, new things, to bring it back to help us. And you could see that last Sunday. Okay? You could see his face, you know, the joy. Because there's a lot of times you don't see that. But here he's, he's doing something that is important to him. And that he's able to bring back. So the Holy Spirit is there renewing. So let's look at Isaiah 32, verses 12 through 15. It says, People shall mourn upon their breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vines. On the land of my people will come up thorns and briars. Yes, on all the happy homes and the joyous cities, because the palaces will be forsaken. The bustling cities will be deserted. The fruits of the forts and towers will become laws, lairs forever. A joy of wild donkey, a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. The fruitful field is counted as a forest. So even though things are happening to Israel at this point in time, that things are going downhill, here it says that the Holy Spirit will renew them. And we think about Israel in the, in the times that they were in captivity, or the times that they, with the times of the judges, how many times they went down the wrong way and then someone prayed 
And the Holy Spirit brought renewal. Okay? And restored them. And they were in that cycle that we've studied in the past. Right? They were going up, and then they went down, and then they went through defeats. And then they prayed, and the Lord rose up a judge. And they had that cycle. But that cycle was the Holy Spirit renewing each time. And that's what the Holy Spirit does as well. And let's go into the, in the New Testament. Okay. Second Peter. And this is one of the ones that I'm just picking one spot because it's in other ones as well. Second Peter, okay, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy came never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit here, not only does he create, not only does he sustain, not only does he renew, but he also here is shown doing divine work. So why is that important? Why is it important that he is doing divine work? Because the Holy Spirit is God. And we've looked at that in the past, the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the one that normally people don't listen or don't think about very often is the Holy Spirit. We think of God and we think of Jesus Christ, but to most of us, the Holy Spirit is just something that came to the church in Acts when the church began. Have you, and then later on when Peter talks to some of the disciples of Paul, I mean, the disciples of uh, Philip or John. I'm sorry, John, where he says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And we, he says, we don't even know what you're talking about. Okay? So most people think of the Holy Spirit as just something that is within us. And as we studied in Sunday school last week, and we'll talk about it again today, it's not just the Holy Spirit that's within us. We have more than the Holy Spirit within us. We have all three. We have God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have all three members of the Trinity in us. So as I read later on, and we, we all know, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, if you're grieving the Holy Spirit, you're not only grieving Him, you're grieving the Father and the Son as well. Because they're all within us. And that's something most people don't think about. Most people just think, oh, we have the Holy Spirit within us. Holy Spirit filled us. But it's not just him. Okay? So, the Holy Spirit is God. But the Holy Spirit is not just God. The Holy Spirit's a person. And we've seen that happen with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was not just God. He was a God-man. He had a personality. He was a person. You could physically touch him. Even after the crucifixion, you could physically touch him. He was a person. Okay? But he was also God. So in some aspects, the same kind of thing is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a person. So I say that. So I says he's a person. We can't see him. We can't touch him. Well, how's he a person? What makes somebody a person? What makes somebody a person definition-wise? Okay? 
Holy Spirit's a person, John 14. Let's go to John 14, 16. John 14, 16 says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Another helper, a paraclete, someone like him. So Christ is saying, I will send another helper, another person like me, another being like me. Okay? So what is it that makes a person? It's a personality. So if you look up a definition of a personality, a personality is defined as the combination of characteristics or qualities that forms an individual's distinct character. So does the Holy Spirit have characteristics? Does he have a personality? Can we make him happy or make him sad? Can we grieve him? Does he talk? Does he listen? These are all characteristics. They're all personalities. We think of, for ourselves, if we wanted to define ourselves, define our own personality, it might be your job. It might be how you're a parent. It might be your, you know, integrity, your attitude. Any of those things you can use to define yourself. Just think of, if somebody says, well, tell me about yourself. And you answer those questions, what is it? Tell me about yourself. Well, I, this, this, this. What are you naming off? Is your personality. Are the characteristics that you have. Things that are important to you. Well, the Holy Spirit has all those same things. As we look through this today, we're going we're gonna to go through and, and talk about his personality. And we talked about the fact that he already creates and he sustains and he renews us. So we know here that he is God, but he also is a person. Because just like John, he says in John 14, Christ said, is that, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. And that another is another person like me. Okay, the word there for another is alos. One besides another of the same kind. Okay, so here, if you think about it, Christ is saying the Holy Spirit is God as well. Because Christ is God. And he's going to send another one like him. So in Acts 28, 25, one of the things that makes somebody personality is the fact that they talk, they speak. It doesn't matter what language someone speaks in, okay, it's part of their personality. You know, if you come from the South, part of speaking in the South is no one understands you. Okay? You talk really slow. You add a bunch of y'alls and uh, yeah and all the other kinds of things. That's part of your personality. Okay? Part of my personality could not be understood when we moved to California. Okay? Second grade, and I'm going to speech therapy school because they can't understand me. But that personality, it's still there. I don't use it anymore. I don't have an accent, but I still remember. We went back to Boston to visit an, a cousin of mine, and we couldn't remember what street she lived on. And we're driving around Everett. We're going, what was the name of that street? Paca, Paca Street. Look for Parker, because that's the street. Because everybody in Boston talks funny as well. So, that's part of your personality. Well, the Holy Spirit speaks as well. 
In Acts 28, 25, this is at the very end of Acts, and Paul is, or, uh, yeah, Paul is talking, and he says, verse 24, And some were persuaded by the things that were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to the people and say to them, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through Isaiah. So the Holy Spirit speaks. That's part of having a personality, characteristic. Does the Holy Spirit teach? Many people think that they're able to teach. And I've gone to classes that their teaching was nothing more than reading the slide, the overhead projector, which you guys don't know what that is, right? Because they don't have those anymore. Okay? It was a projector that you put a little slide on it and it projected up on the screen. Okay? And they think that teaching is just putting a slide up and reading it and then taking that slide down and putting up the next one. And I hated going to classes like that. Because if I wanted to go to a class and just read, give me the book and let me do it myself. Well, here the Holy Spirit teaches. Back in John, verse 14 again, or chapter 14. Fourteen twenty-six. And I'll start in 25. It says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the one that is like me, that will come. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Then he goes on and does other. Okay, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave. Here the Holy Spirit is teaching. Well, how are we supposed to know if we learn it or not? Because as a Christian, the Holy Spirit is teaching us all things that are truth. That's what he's, in essence, that's one of his jobs. Most people think, well, the Holy Spirit just convicts, right? And we'll talk about that. He convicts of sin, unrighteousness, and judgment. But not only does he convict us, he teaches us. And he teaches us the truth. That's what it says here. The helper, the Holy Spirit teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. We have four Gospels. They were written to four different classifications, if you will, of people. They all say the same thing in different ways, different importance to the different groups of people. But they're all consistent. The Holy Spirit was teaching these writers as they wrote making sure that everything was set just as the way it should be for truth. One of the other things that we talked about, we talked about him as God, is the fact that he sustains and he renews us. Not only does he sustain and renew us, and he speaks and he teaches, but he also comforts us. How many times do you go to somebody to get comfort? I mean, if you're sad, if something happens, your children fall and they start crying. They come running to mommy or daddy. Okay? And why are they running to them? Because they want to be comforted. The Holy Spirit provides that comfort for us. In Acts chapter 9. 
verse 32, he says, Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, he also went down to the saints who dwelt in Lydia. Nope, 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Holy Spirit giving them comfort. We talked about that in Sunday school today, that as a Christian, we should not worry about tribulations or trials. We know they're going to come. But the Holy Spirit gives us that comfort knowing that as a believer, we can have that full assurance that we're going to return home. Right? We're going back to heaven. We're not going to be stuck here on earth forever. So we have that comfort. Someone that you lose, that you've been with for a long, long time. Okay, we talked about this previously. Is there any reason to grieve? We grieve for ourselves, but do we grieve for the person that's passed away? No, because we know where they are. And that Holy Spirit has given us that comfort to be able to do that. We don't have to worry. We don't have to hope anymore. Because we know. There are times, though, that we are weak. And it's our, when, our weak, when we are weak that Christ helps make us strong. Romans 8.26, the Holy Spirit is involved as well. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Okay? He helps us in our weaknesses. There are churches out there that take that verse out of context. And they use this verse to say that speaking in tongues is their prayer language. And when they pray and no one understands what it is that they're saying, they're saying, that's my prayer language. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's not what he's saying. If you read it, that's not what he's saying. How many times do you sit there and you go start praying and you don't know what to say? It happened while I was doing this, trying to think of a word, trying to use my words, and I couldn't use it. The Holy Spirit knows what it is that you're trying to say. Right? So Christ is the intercessor. He's the intercessor. The only reason. Okay? But the Holy Spirit gives us, helps us. He's the helper. Okay? So even though we don't know what to say, he helps us in that weakness. One of the other things that happens, unfortunately, is the fact that the Holy Spirit seems to have feelings. Now, why am I saying he has feelings? The Holy Spirit has demonstrated his love for us. The Holy Spirit was there at the creation with Mary, overshadowing Mary. But the Holy Spirit can also be grieved. So what does it mean to be grieved? In, a, in essence, it's almost like being distressed, that we can put him into distress. Even though he's God, he has feelings. In Ephesians 4.30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And that grieving, that word there for grief, is dis distress. 
okay, that you can cause great distress. So how is it that we as a Christian can cause great distress to the Holy Spirit? By quenching him. How do we quench the Holy Spirit? How many times have you thought about doing something or the Spirit seems to be saying, we need you to do this? You seem to have something, the Lord directing you to something, to go do something, and you just say, keep putting it off. Not now. Not now. Not now. And then after a while, he just stops. He doesn't try to send you that way anymore. If we think of Paul, Paul wanted to go to, to uh, Asia. He was praying to go to Asia, but the Spirit wouldn't let him. Paul was a man of God that followed the Spirit. What do you think would have happened if he had just gone off to Asia instead of going where he was, let, he was being told to go? We can grieve the Holy Spirit. And I've said before, we're not just grieving the Holy Spirit, we're gro- grieving all three members of God. All three triune members, if you will. So looking at this, we've talked about that he teaches. He gives us discernment. Does the Holy Spirit listen? Yes. Because what we read here as well is the fact that he already knows what we're praying for, and he knows that if we can't do it, he, he utters the words for us. He's listening to what we're doing, listening to what we're saying. Okay? And Paul says in other places, for every idle word, you're going to have to answer for The Holy Spirit is there, which means the Holy Spirit is just like God in the fact that he is omnipresent, omnipotent, all-knowing. Okay? He's omnipotent. He's everywhere. He's within each and every one of us as a Christian. Okay, that's one, th- that's one of the things that some of, several of these other religions don't believe. He's just a conduit. He's there and then he leaves. And we know the Holy Spirit can leave because he did that in the Old Testament. And we've studied that in the past with Saul. Holy Spirit came upon him, then the Holy Spirit left him. That's the difference between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. As a believer, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. He never leaves us. Christ said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, how does that happen? Part of it is because he's within us along with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is within us. So the Holy Spirit is God, and he is a person. He has a personality, but he also has a ministry. God had a ministry while he was here on earth. He has a ministry now. And that ministry now is the intercessor. Right? He's always up there interceding for us. He's the one that, if you will, will be our lawyer, our defense counsel. Right? But the Holy Spirit has a ministry as well. And many people think that the Holy Spirit's ministry, once again, is only to convict you. Convict you of sin, unrighteousness, and judgment. That's not his only ministry. We think of the fact, or the way that we look at it is, is do you have that conscience, the conscience? Some people think of the Holy Spirit as your conscience, okay? And you have that little, you know, the, you see the shows where there's a, the uh, uh, angel, 
words, words. Angels on one side, devil on the other shoulder, right? And the angel's telling you one thing and the devil's telling you the other. And they think of that as your conscience. And they think of the Holy Spirit as the conscience. Right? That's not what he is. You may think of that because he is convicting us. If you're doing something wrong or if you're thinking of doing something wrong, he's there con convicting you that you shouldn't. Right? But one of the things that he does is he indwells us. He's within us. And this also shows that he is God. In Romans 8, 11, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to you and your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So if we look at this, we have three things there. We have the spirit, Jesus Christ, and God who raised him from the dead. We have all three of the triune gods in that verse. In John 14, we've read some of John 14 already. John 14, 23. Once again, it says, And Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Right? So once again, the Holy Spirit here is Christ and is God. They're all three. And he dwells. And here it says... And I want to put this out because this is why I'm saying that all three are within us. Verse 23 once again. If anyone loves me, Jesus Christ, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying he and the Father will come and dwell within us. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us as well. So we have Christ's own words. All three are within us. And this is something that I, that I tried talked a little bit about last week. That this is something that people do not normally think of. They think of only the Holy Spirit. That we're only filled with the Holy Spirit. And the songs that you sing and all the things that are saying, Holy Spirit, fill me. Well, it's not just the Holy Spirit that's filling us. We have all three. So when someone says, are you filled with the Holy Spirit, what can we reply? Yes, along with God and Jesus Christ, because they're all within us. So can we grieve just the Holy Spirit? No, we're grieving all three. So if we're doing something wrong, it's just not one of those, one of the three, but the triune God, all three persons that we are grieving that we are disturbing, if you will. That we are another word not coming to me. But it's it's the fact that we are, you know, disobeying all three of them. It's not just the Holy Spirit trying to push us some way. It wasn't just the Holy Spirit trying to push Paul away from going there. It was all three that led him to the Macedonia call. So he indwells us, and once again, that shows just that verse that he's within all three, that he is God, right? And he anoints us, 1 John, 1 John chapter 2.
1 John chapter 2, 20 and 27, it says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. And 27, But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but at the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as He has taught you, he will, you will abide in Him. What's it mean to be anointed? Christ was anointed. David was anointed. Saul was anointed. It was meaning to be set apart. Saul was anointed as the king. And then David was anointed. While Saul was still king, David was anointed as the next king. But Christ was anointed. He was separated. And in all those situations, almost all the time it talks about anointing, it means that they're pouring oil or pouring something on him to set him apart. So what did Christ get poured on him to set him apart? What anointed him? The Holy Spirit, not only that, he was also anointed by the woman that said, and as long as this story is told, this woman will be glorified, will be praised, because she poured the anointing on him. When we studied his birth, the, the, the frankincense, myrrh, the other one. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, right? The gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those were all for certain things. The gold was the wealth. Not that he had wealth. Christ didn't have wealth. But that gold showed that he was the one that owned everything. Just like he told the devil and others. I own the the cattle on a thousand hills. The frankincense was something that was used. Frankincense and myrrh was something that was used at a burial. Okay? So when he was a child, he received all the different things that would be used for anointing or for showing who he was. So Christ was anointed, and we've been anointed. Okay? Now, we say that he was anointed at his baptism. What we're looking at here was not that he was baptized. Did he need to be baptized? The baptism of, Paul, of John was for repentance. He didn't need to be baptized for repentance. He had nothing to repent about. But it set him apart. Okay? He showed that he followed the Jewish laws. Okay? And when he raised up, was raised up, the Holy Spirit. Okay? Once again, the triunity. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and God spoke audibly. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He was anointed. We have been anointed. We have been set apart for a specific reason. That's what the anointing was for. The same thing with pastors. There are times when pastors or missionaries are leaving to go to another country. And they call the elders up and they lay their hands on him. We're not doing anything special. Okay? Just because we touch him doesn't make him any more holy. But we're setting him apart for a mission. The same thing. It's a different way, if you will, of anointing. It's just placing on the hands. And we're told to do that for the ill. If those of you that are sick, call for the elders. Okay? So he anoints us. One of the other important things 
is how many times have we lost our way? And in John, John says in 13 that he's a guide. John 16, 13 says, However, when he, once again, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So he guides us. I'm a man. I don't like to be guided. That's what maps, that's why men never look at maps. Or if we do and we get lost, we never pull out a map. We drive around until we recognize something. At least that's what I do. What do the women always say? Pull over and ask someone. No. Men do not like to do that. And I think that is a universal man thing. Okay? You get lost, you keep driving until you find something. And I've said before, we took a wrong turn on a freeway when I left Orlando, Florida, trying to get up to um, Idaho Falls, Idaho. We took the wrong turn. It took us 100 miles before we could turn around, drive the 100 miles back to get on the right road. Not because we didn't know we made a mistake, it's because there was no off-ramps. And we didn't feel like just driving through the grass because it was his car. And it, Anyway, we don't like to guide. We don't like to ask for help, but the Holy Spirit guides us. He tells us all truth. So when you go the wrong way, he tells you. They say that God never closes a door without opening a window. What do you think that window is? It's guidance. It's guidance. The Holy Spirit is giving you that. Kind of like when you come up to an area that you're, should I do this or should I do that? You have a choice. The Holy Spirit gives you that choice. You have that out. And if you don't take that out and you do the wrong thing, that's part of grieving the Holy Spirit. So he gives us that guide. He sanctifies us as well, helps set us apart. Okay? And that's in Romans chapter 15, where he says, <clears throat> Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I may be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, sanctified again, set apart. It is for a specific reason that we are sanctified. And that says the same thing in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, he says... But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So once again, the Spirit sets us apart. He anoints us, which is also a setting apart. It's an identification. And then he helps and comforts us. We read some of that in John as well, that he is the comforter, and he's the one that we can go to to be comforted. We also read in 1 John, but in 1 John chapter 4, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. 
And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. Who is in us? Who is it that is within us? Once again, the Holy Spirit, but God and Jesus Christ as well. All three. He who is within you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear him. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So we have the Holy Spirit within us that gives us truth. It gives us discernment. I mean, what is discernment? Why do we need discernment? 1 Corinthians talks about that. 1 Corinthians 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 10, and 10, 10 through 12, says, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who can know the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we know the mind of Christ. How do we know the mind of Christ? Because the Holy Spirit has given us that discernment to know the truth, to be able to read. And we've already read in past that he's going to send us a helper that will give us remembrance. So he gives us that discernment. Here in 1 Corinthians, we'll go to verse, uh, chapter 12. And here, once again, this shows, once again, that the Holy Spirit is God. He's not a conduit. He's not a life force. He's not the power within okay, that some of the New Age people look at. That he is God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. 
So here we have once again all three showing that Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are all God. Because we look at the beginning. Diversities of gifts, but the same God. Manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. God. Okay? Differences of ministries, but the same Lord. All three, once again, together. In just three verses. Okay? So he gives us gifts. Different people have different gifts. Sometimes that leads to issues in churches. We've talked about that in Sunday school. Okay? And then, lastly, turn with me to Galatians 5. And many people have this memorized. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is once again is something that continues within us that shows that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is giving us fruit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. How is it that we walk in the Spirit? We have the fruit of the Spirit. Let love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Those are all fruits of the Spirit. Those are all things that people look at. Okay? And as we look at this, as people are looking at us, what kind of fruit are they seeing from us? Are they seeing us being fruitful? Some of us are fruitful and multiplying. Okay? Okay? That's not the fruit I think he's talking about, but it is something. But being faithful, being just, are all those things, do they see that within us? Those are all the fruits, and that's what the Spirit gives us. He gives us gifts, and he gives us fruit. What are we doing with that? Are we using the gifts to glorify God? Or as Paul said in... Philippians, they do it of their own selfish reasons. All they're doing is building up for themselves wood, hay, and stubble. Are we doing it for the right reasons? Is it a gift that God has given to us that we are giving back? Because isn't the purpose of a gift to be used? And do you think if the Holy Spirit gives you a gift and you don't use it, you might be grieving him? Because he gave you a gift for a specific reason. Okay? And I've said this in the past, and, and pastors said it as well, it's a gift. You have to accept it. And if you don't accept it, or if you take it and you just put it up on a shelf, did you welcome the gift? Or was it just, okay, here you go. And I've told you in the past, I get nothing from my sister-in-law. Because she gave me a gift, and I said, that's an ugly shirt, and I sent it back. I haven't gotten another gift from her, okay? Which is to be expected. But the same thing holds true here. God has given us a gift. If we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he's given us a gift. That gift is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has given us gifts. And we should use those gifts to help glorify God. That's the whole reason why we have them. Okay? 
So, the Holy Spirit, is he God? Yeah. We've demonstrated that. Is he a person? Yes, he has personalities. You know, we have people that have personalities. Some personalities you like, some you don't. The Holy Spirit's personality is something that is useful for us at all times. He's spoken. Every time we read the Bible, we're reading what the Holy Spirit taught because he used humans to write it. But he was there once again at the beginning, and he'll be there at the end. He speaks. He teaches us. He comforts us. All these things, so we know that he is a person. Because, once again, Christ said that. I will send you another one, just like me. Another helper. And we know he has a ministry. So as we look through this, as we finish this up today, any time that someone says that the Holy Spirit is not a person, or he's not God, or he's a conduit, or he's the inner being within everyone, the inner power, well, we can just look at them and say, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit lives within us, and not just the Holy Spirit, but all three, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, are all within us. It's not just a one-time event. It's a continual one. So let's go ahead and, uh, and close here in a word of prayer. And we have a closing hymn. Lord God, once again, thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit within us. We thank you, Lord, that all three are within us. Lord, I, I ask that you will be with each of us that are here today, that you would continue to use us. Lord, where we have failed you, where I have failed you, Lord, I ask your forgiveness. I ask, Lord, that you would continue to be with us at this church, that we might continue to be a, a light in this neighborhood, that they might be able to see you within us. In Jesus' name, amen.